Howdy folks and welcome to another episode of Exploring Cryptocurrency and today we are going to be getting back to our project series where I will be covering a variety of cryptocurrencies that are doing some really remarkable things in the space. Today we will be looking at the EOS platform, another dApp-centric blockchain that utilizes its own unique delegated proof-of-stake consensus mechanism. There's a lot to go over, so we'll be looking at EOS's specific incarnation of DPoS, their issuance model, their governance strategy, as well as addressing some of the controversies and concerns about EOS. As always, you folks can help us reach more individuals both new to and experienced with cryptocurrency simply by subscribing and liking or rating this episode depending on which platform you are using, whether that's YouTube, iTunes, Stitcher, or something else. And with that said, without further ado, let's take a look at a brief outline of what EOS is. So EOS is a blockchain platform built for the development of decentralized applications or dApps, very much similar to Ethereum in function. In fact, supporters of EOS often dub it the Ethereum killer. It makes dApp development very easy by providing an operating system-like set of services and functions that dApps can use. The idea behind EOS is to combine features of the various smart contract technologies out there, like the security of the Bitcoin network or the computing support of the Ethereum network. Essentially, EOS aims to provide one very simple to use, massively scalable dApp platform for the everyday user. And scalability is a huge part of this equation, so we're going to take some time on that in just a moment as well. We've spoken about other approaches to delegated proof-of-stake consensus, and we've also discussed other projects that focus on dApps and smart contracts. Where does EOS find its place in all of that? Well, ultimately, the EOS blockchain is aiming to become a decentralized operating system which can support industrial-scale decentralized applications. The cryptocurrency community at large recognizes that this is quite the tall order and what really has captured the community's imagination is the following two claims made by EOS. One, that EOS plans to completely remove transaction fees, that they will not have transaction fees. And two, that EOS claims to have the ability to conduct millions of transactions per second. The EOS network is ready-made platform for apps and utilizes a full-featured authentication system. User accounts complete with different permission levels and their own locally secured user data are a unique feature of the EOS network. You'll also be able to share database access between accounts and store user data on a local machine off of the EOS blockchain when using the software. This means that stolen account recovery is a feature of EOS. EOS provides users various methods of proving their identity and restoring access to a compromised account. This is a little bit more remarkable than we may realize at first glance, not only offering a solution to quote-unquote lost tokens, but this helps maintain a circulation that is applied and less bogged down by stagnation. I've mentioned before that of the 21 million Bitcoin cap that will eventually exist, nearly 6 million of those Bitcoins are already lost and permanently stagnant. That is, they will never circulate the internal economy of the Bitcoin network again. I suppose this could be seen as a unique, albeit unintentional, scarcity mechanism, but it is nice to have a system where recovery is possible 
while transactions are still irreversible and the networks are blockchains and therefore append only and immutable. Some other unique features of the EOS platform include server hosting and cloud storage. This is a major part of the EOS system as well. As an application developer, you can build and deploy dApps with hosting, cloud storage, and download bandwidth that the system provides to you. This provides far more accessibility for developers given they don't need to secure storage and bandwidth but can instead directly host applications within the EOS ecosystem. Developers, therefore, also have access to usage analytics for storage and bandwidth directly from EOS and are able to set limits for specific applications. You pay for these services by staking tokens, which we are going to cover when we look at EOS's unique DPoS model. Again, EOS is designed with a major emphasis on scalability, something more and more projects are taking under greater and more careful consideration as of late. We all have to remember that while the Bitcoin network has seen massive adoption relative to other projects, and Bitcoin also has a sort of legacy status to it, Nakamoto could not have anticipated the rapid adoption and expansion of the Bitcoin network. We did talk about this briefly in our Bitcoin Cash episode, where we discussed amendments to block size and the problems of both scalability and consolidation of power and abuses of the proof-of-work consensus mechanism underlying the Bitcoin network. EOS is rather forward-thinking in that the project has anticipated the need for greater scalability. Most common blockchains like Bitcoin and Ethereum use what is called consensus over state, meaning that at any point, all of the computers on the network can verify the current state of the entire blockchain. This is done to prevent fraud and to confirm transactions. The blockchain in those cases is essentially a graph of the state of the system. When each new block is appended or added to the blockchain, nodes on the network take each transaction from the block and update the state of each address associated with those transactions. EOS, on the other hand, does not do this, but instead implements what is called consensus over events. When using consensus over events, the focus is on the transactions as opposed to the state. Instead of verifying the state of the network at any given time, nodes verify the series of events that have occurred in order to keep track of the network state. The system takes longer to completely reconfirm the history of transactions when it restarts, but it can handle a much higher throughput of transactions while it is running. And note, throughput is a term that you will hear in the crypto space quite often. It essentially means the amount of material or items passing through a system or process, system or process in this case being the blockchain. So to summarize this, the EOS network can, again, scale to 1 million transactions per second out of the gate on a single machine with theoretically infinite scaling possible in parallel between multiple machines. Last, another unique feature with EOS is that by default, an application built on the EOS platform does not require micropayments by end users to send transactions or to perform tasks on the blockchain. Developers can determine how users pay transaction fees, so that means that companies are free to come up with their own monetization strategies, and this again speaks to EOS's intent to support industrial-scale decentralized applications. 
So to wrap that up, we have to remember that one of the biggest problems that the blockchain space is facing is that of scalability. If we look at traditional payment systems, for instance, Visa, Visa manages almost 2,000 transactions per second, while PayPal manages an approximate 200 transactions per second. Contemporaneously with these figures, Bitcoin was managing transactions in single digits per second, while Ethereum fared slightly better at about 20 per second. Now, the reason why blockchain-based applications weren't able to compute many transactions per second was because each and every node of the network had to come to a consensus for anything to go through. This is where other consensus models come in. EOS was among the first to pioneer delegated proof-of-stake, or DPoS, which solves many of the proof-of-work scalability issues. Thus, EOS can perceivably compute millions of transactions per second. But where would we be without looking at where EOS came from? So the history of EOS, the core team behind EOS is called Block.1 or Block1, based in the Cayman Islands. Brendan Bloomer, the CEO of EOS, has been involved in the blockchain space since 2014. He has previously been involved in companies that dealt with currency exchanges in MMORPGs and real estate. Now, Dan Larimer, the CTO of EOS, is a particular interest here. Larimer has been name-dropped in previous episodes because he is the creator of the delegated proof-of-stake consensus methodology and decentralized autonomous organizations, or DAOs, as we discussed in our Ethereum episode. There is a little bit of controversy, as noted, with EOS. So other than maybe Ripple or Bitcoin Cash... EOS is probably the most polarizing project in the entire cryptocurrency space. Opponents of EOS argue that the project is heavily centralized due to its implementation of delegated proof-of-stake consensus mechanism in which just 21 block producers verify transactions, and we will cover this in detail in the next section. Another major issue with EOS that affected it very negatively was its ICO, or Initial Coin Offering. This ICO is pretty much infamous in the cryptocurrency space. EOS had this year-long $4 billion ICO that many thought was greedy at best or fraudulent at worst. Fortunately, we have seen EOS prove that they are more than a legitimate project with many exciting and unique features and great strides toward increased scalability. The EOS network has had its fair share of bugs as well. Several critical vulnerabilities surfaced leading up to the launch of the platform's mainnet, which really informed those already disgruntled with the $4 billion ICO. And you have to consider this perspective to be fair. A project raises $4 billion over the course of one year, and then the project is a bit more buggy than many others in the space. Even after the launch, you had white hat hackers reporting bugs and making a pretty healthy purse from bounties. Basically, a lot of people just thought that if you had a year-long $4 billion ICO, you shouldn't have that many bugs in your mainnet when it launched. But moving on to speak a little bit about EOS's issuance, EOS tokens are ERC-20 compatible tokens that were distributed on the Ethereum blockchain. Ethereum can not only fund dApps, but it funds other blockchains as well. This is something we discussed extensively in the Ethereum episode. 
This is why we see so many ERC-20 tokens and ICOs funded using Ethereum. This has been, for a very long while, the status quo, the standard issuance procedure for many new projects. The EOS token sale opened in late June 2017 and, as aforementioned, ran for almost one year, 341 days to be exact. There are a total of 1 billion EOS tokens. Again, EOS was aiming for mass adoption and scalability. They've cited hosting such a long process so they could see the development of the EOS software in full. And again, this owes to the previously discussed controversies, namely why many were upset that EOS had a lot of debugging to be done despite this lengthy preparation time. So let's talk about, as promised, EOS's very unique DPoS model. We've discussed a variety of delegated proof-of-stake models like that of Tron and their super representatives and voting rewards incentivization, or most recent we did talk about Nano and how they implement DPoS as a consensus mechanism, but still utilize a minimal amount of proof-of-work for security purposes. EOS naturally has their own way of doing things. Given delegated proof-of-stake, there is some sort of democratic structure in place whereby users on the network leverage their network-native tokens to vote for validators. First, anyone who holds tokens on a blockchain integrated into the EOS software can select the block producers through a continuous approval voting system. Anyone can participate in the block producer election. These elected are given an opportunity to produce blocks proportionate to the total votes they receive relative to all other producers. Let's break down how EOS's DPoS works in a more concise manner. In EOS's delegated proof-of-stake consensus system, blocks are produced in the rounds of 21. At the start of every round, 21 block producers are chosen. The top 20 are automatically chosen, while the 21st is chosen proportional to the number of their votes relative to the other producers. The producers are then shuffled around using a pseudo-random number derived from the block time. This is done to ensure that a balanced connectivity to all other producers is maintained. To ensure that regular block production is maintained and that block time is kept to 3 seconds, Producers are punished for not participating by being removed from consideration. A producer has to produce at least one block every 24 hours to be in consideration. And if you're well-versed with this stuff but not familiar with EOS, you may be asking if the natural competition between producers could potentiate some sort of fork. That is a good question. So EOS's DPoS system doesn't experience a fork because instead of competing to find blocks, the producers are forced to instead cooperate with one another. In the event of a fork, the consensus would automatically switch to whichever is the longest chain. EOS typically has 100% block producer participation. A transaction is usually confirmed within 1.5 seconds from the time of broadcast by a 99.9% .9 certainty. In order to have absolute certainty over the validity of a transaction in the EOS network, a node needs only to wait for 15 out of 21 or a two-third majority of the producers to arrive to consensus. So what about a fork caused by negligence or maybe malicious intent? 
all of the nodes would by default not switch to a fork which doesn't include any blocks that haven't been finalized by that two-thirds of the producers. This rule stands regardless of chain length. Each block has to gain 15 out of 21 of the producer's approval to be considered a part of the chain. Because of the short block creation time, it is possible to warn nodes of whether they are in the major or minor chain within as short as 9 seconds. And remember, the average time elapsed between each block is 3 seconds. Thus, 1. If a node misses 2 consecutive blocks, there is a 95% chance that they are in a minority fork. And 2. If a node misses 3 blocks, there is a 99% chance of them being on a minority chain. This brings us to the next unique feature of EOS's delegated proof-of-stake model, TAPOS. TAPOS stands for Transaction as Proof-of-Stake. This is a feature native and specific to the EOS software. Every transaction in the system is required to have the hash of the recent block header, thereby preventing transaction replay on different chains and signaling the network that a user and their stake is on a particular fork. So what does this accomplish? Well, this prevents validators from acting maliciously on other chains. So here we circle back to the security of Bitcoin coupled with the computing support of Ethereum as characteristics of EOS. The next thing that maybe get a question for you is the elimination of transaction fees. EOS works on an ownership model whereby users own and are entitled to resources proportionate to their stake rather than having to pay for each transaction. So in essence, if you hold X tokens of EOS, then you are entitled to X times K transactions. This in essence eliminates transaction fees. The cost of running and hosting applications on Ethereum can be quite expensive for a developer who wants to simply test their application on the blockchain. The gas price involved in the early stages of development is often a bit unsavory to developers, and the Tron network development is much, much cheaper, requiring a mere 10,000 TRX tokens to submit a dApp to the network, but this is still a cost. That brings us to a fundamental difference between the way Ethereum and EOS operate insofar as development is concerned. Ethereum basically rents out their computational power to developers, but EOS gives ownership of their resources. For example, if you own one one-thousandth of a stake in EOS, then you will have ownership of one one-thousandth of the total computational power and resources in EOS. This is why EOS has seen so much dApp development. While it is contestable whether or not EOS has the most dApp usage, this is certainly advantageous for developers given that this feature is built into the EOS software. Before we wrap up our overview of EOS, I think it's a good idea to briefly discuss some of the concerns about EOS. And I want to reiterate the disclaimer that exploring cryptocurrency is an educational podcast. Our featuring a topic is in no way an endorsement or even the contrary of any given project. I try to keep my opinions out of these episodes as much as I can, saving them usually for the end or the conclusion, at which time I will add a disclaimer that whatever I'm saying is just my personal take. With that said, the following isn't my opinion, but various concerns in the cryptocurrency and blockchain community that I am citing to provide a more objective and well-rounded view of EOS. So, concerns. 
One of the biggest concerns that I've heard about EOS is that the system is extremely reliant on the voting mechanism. This is because voting has the potential problems of low participation and what is called the tragedy of the commons. This is when individuals act rationally and independently according to their own self-interest and deplete a shared resource even if it is contrary to their shared best interest. Again, this is a concept much older than even Bitcoin, and it is called the tragedy of commons. So how does this apply to EOS? Ethereum creator Vitalik Buterin actually states this quite concisely, stating, quote, Each voter only has a tiny chance of influencing the result. Their incentive to vote correctly is thousands of times lower than the socially optimal incentive. This means that situations like everyone putting their coins on exchanges and then those exchanges voting on users' behalf, with users not really caring how exchanges vote with their money, are very likely to happen. Also, it can be said that a coin holder's interests are not perfectly aligned with the user's interest. It is often thought that because of this, proposals that increase the coin price at the expense of user experience might get implemented on the EOS network. We also have concerns about the previously mentioned zero transaction fees mechanism in EOS. Again, Vitalik Buterin has also made note of the fact that users need to hold a certain amount of EOS tokens in order to get some amount of free transactions. To reiterate it, X EOS tokens will result in X times K free transactions. Buterin argues that this means that people are basically cornered into holding X amount of tokens to participate and expose themselves to coin volatility, and that this has some undesirable consequences on both people who are not wealthy by global standard and people who just want to use the blockchain a few times and go away. That is, how can a system scale up if it can't account for hobbyists or occasional users? Now here's a final consideration that concerns many people, not specifically about EOS, but all blockchains that utilize variations of the proof-of-stake consensus model. This is called the nothing-at-stake problem. So to look at it this way, suppose we have a situation where there is a main blockchain, the blue chain, and then a red chain, which sort of branches off from the blue chain. What is there to stop a malicious miner from mining on the red blocks and force a hard fork? So in a proof-of-work system, this risk can be mitigated. Suppose malicious miner Alice wants to mine on the red chain, the new blockchain. Even if she dedicates all of her hashing power to it, she won't be able to get other miners to join her on the new red chain. Everyone else will still continue to mine on the original blue chain because it's more profitable and risk-free to mine on the longer chain. Now note that as discussed in previous episodes, proof of work is extremely expensive, increasingly so. Thus, it isn't sensible for a miner to waste resources on a block that's going to be rejected by the network anyway. Hence, chain splits are avoided in a proof-of-work system because of the sheer expenditures that fall on the would-be attacker. However, things look a little different when you bring in proof-of-stake. If you are a validator, then you can simply put your money in both the red chain and the blue chain without any fear of repercussion at all. No matter what happens, you will always win and have nothing to lose despite how malicious your actions may be. 
and this is why it is called the nothing-at-stake problem. Vitalik Buterin is understandably outspoken about these issues given the eventual Ethereum Casper protocol, which punishes any validators who attempt to do this by slashing away their stake. In this vein, EOS critics feel that the network doesn't punish their malicious validators harshly enough for partaking in any given malicious act. How are they punished? Well, the malicious validators suffer a loss of reputation, they might not be able to be validators anymore, and it's understandable then why these critics don't find this harsh enough. Much of this plays into a lot of hypothetical scenarios of the Bitcoin or otherwise proof-of-work networks being quote-unquote hacked. For instance, a 51% attack or chain races. This also touches on Ethereum's Phase 3 metropolis and the difficulty time bomb. That's right, Ethereum will imminently be migrating from proof-of-work over to proof-of-stake, but they do have a very methodical and clever way of doing this, the Casper protocol that I mentioned among them. We'll talk about these topics in a future episode, and on that note, you can see a full list of our upcoming episode topics on our main page at exploringcryptocurrency.blogspot.com where you can also submit topic requests and questions for our weekly Q&A. We also have launched a Twitter page. You can follow us on Twitter at eCryptoPodcast and submit your questions there. So with all that said, you want my personal opinion. You guys know I am a major proponent of at least expressing supportive sentiment of legitimate projects that are doing their part to try and improve the cryptocurrency space, and EOS is a major part of that. I personally recognize the cited issues with EOS, and I do think that DPoS runs the risk of abuses of the delegated side of things, while staking runs the risk of power consolidation when your staking metric is wealth. On the other hand, proof-of-work systems are already seeing massive steps toward unwanted centralization, what with the ASIC arms races and the resources needed to even run a full node. And my point ultimately is that no one system is perfect. This space is a long-running discourse. We are at the dawn of the internet all over again, guys. We will see thousands of ideas and projects come and go. We will see a few emerge from the ashes as champions of decentralized global technologies. And it takes projects like EOS to play their small part in making that happen. So that's EOS in a nutshell. I appended my opinion to the end of it, but it is not immutable, unlike the blockchain. Once again, this has been another learning excursion with Exploring Cryptocurrency. Don't forget to subscribe, like or rate, and share our podcast with others. All of these things help us reach new audiences, and you can do your part in increasing awareness and education in the blockchain space with the mere click of a button or two. As always, thank you for listening. You folks have a wonderful day, and we will talk to you next time.